It's Tuesday, May 17th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, the Chief Product Officer and Investor at Large here at The Motley Fool, Tim Hansen. Thanks for being here. I like that addition to my title, Investor at Large. That's, I, I appreciate that. It sounds vaguely menacing, though, doesn't it? <laughs> I like it. I'm going to go with that. I just scour the hallways. So, we've had, over the last six months here at Market Foolery, we've had a couple of firsts. We've we've done over a thousand episodes, and yet, despite our age, we've had a couple of firsts. Um, recently, uh, one of the firsts involved Morgan Housel and I having to completely re-record an episode. I recall that due to uh, due to the death of Aubrey McClendon. Yep. We had another first today because uh, just moments ago, you and I were wrapping up this episode of Market Foolery. Yeah, and we knocked it out of the park. We kind of did. We, I, I was like, this is really good. There's a lot of good stuff here. And our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, walked in. One of these tap, tap, tap. And, hey, guys. And I turned, and, and the door was open. The hermetically sealed studio door was open. You're not supposed to walk in here when we're taping. And I thought, oh, my gosh, did we say something inappropriate? Have, is something? And, and Dan confessed that only one of our microphones was turned on. We don't know who. We don't know who, and that's lost to the ages now. Yeah. We're going to try and soldier on, though. Um, and fortunately, it, we, you know, we've got some good stuff to talk about. We've got the battle for the living room, and uh, we've got Fool Fest coming out later this week. Yep. We're going to talk about that. That's going to be a good segment. <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly the first version was. Really, let's just start by setting expectations for this episode of Market Foolery Low. Because we, we we're going to get it all on tape. We're Is that get, what we're going to show today this time? Well, that's what we promised to the listeners. We're all gonna, right, we're, you're going to get this episode. This is going to get out with two people talking. <laughs> you're going to hear uh, two people on two separate microphones. That's really what we're promising in terms of the actual content. God only knows where we go from here. Let's start with Home Depot though. Um, first quarter profits and revenue higher than expected. This was every, like if you're I'm not a Home Depot shareholder, but if I were, this is everything I want out of my company. A great quarter and raising guidance for the full fiscal year and the stock down about 1.5%. Yeah, you know, the, the, usually the beat and raise will get you uh, an appreciating stock, but this you know, this is a function of expectations. Um, the stock market as we all know tends to be a forward-looking vehicle. Home Depot stock is up pretty pretty sharply. Um, over the past year, um, because of both good execution and also some of the tailwinds that have been pushing on the on the housing market, the remodeling market, so on and so forth, um, so the valuation had gotten maybe maybe a little bit ahead of itself, but it's not down it's not down that much, um, you know. And the other interesting thing here about Home Depot is this is one of those, um, you know, in the minority these days defensive segments that sort of has not yet been Amazoned um, to any degree, and I think that's that's a function of both, um, you know. The the demand it gets from irregular weather, so you're not going to wait two days on prime if there's a if there's a hailstorm rolling in. Um, the idea that hey my pipe burst, I'm gonna I'm not going to wait for prime to deliver me a replacement part. I mean, maybe I don't know what I'm doing, so the the service at Home Depot will help me figure out the right product, the right execution to solve my problem. Um, so those are all things that have been helping this company. It's been a really successful execution over the last year, and I, you know sometimes the market just gets ahead of itself, and days like this happen. I'm wondering how much Amazon looks at Home Depot and Lowe's and decides, you know what? We're going to sell basic tools. We're going to sell stuff. We're going we're, we're to compete on some things. But right now, we've got other things that we feel like we can do better on. And, and I'm, I don't think any business is completely Amazon-proof. But I think Home Depot right now looks about as good as it gets in that regard. Well, you know, 
play it forward a few years, you could see, you know, you tell Alexa my pipe burst and all of a sudden maybe the smart home already knows what kind of pipes you have and that thing shows up at your door in six hours. I mean, that's a huge technology and logistical challenge, but that playing it forward, that would be the, the, the counter argument there. But I think broadly your point is spot on, which is that the characteristics around service, timeliness, you know, the unplanned nature of some of these purchases, um, you know, how often do you run out of paint? I mean, I'm like the worst person in the world at estimating how much paint I need to paint a wall. Right. And so it's like, oh, I got to go back, get more paint. Um, so I think those things are all helping those 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 concept stores, those big box stores, you know, do well at a time when most big box retailers are doing relatively poorly. Yeah, I, I think the the service that is provided at Home Depot and Lowe's really is a differentiator, and I think that we'll probably get a a good sense of how serious Amazon is at going after these businesses if a small service center, an Amazon-branded service center, opens up. Because I think that there are just too many people out there like me who can can change a light bulb, can do a couple of basic things, mm-hmm. but there are plenty of things around the house where I just think, now I need some help. I need to talk to someone in a store. I yep. don't want to try and guess and order this online and then have it show up in two days. Yeah, I think that's that's the point taken. Um, just to go back to the stock for a second, it's the valuation, right? I mean, that's why. Oh yeah, Because yeah, yeah. this is there, there's nothing you can look at in the quarter that they just put up, and in the guidance that they raised on their earnings, on their same store sales. I mean, for no, the full even, fiscal year, yeah, come even, on. Even the trends are good. You know, the ma- the, the the macro trends for them. Um, you know, household formation, the building permits continue to tick up at a healthy rate. Um, coming out of the housing downturn, we you know I, I'd expect to continue to see increasing in new home purchase activity, which is only good for you know retailers like this. You buy a new home, you want to redo the floors, you got to get some tools, paint the walls, what have you. Um, all those things point to positive outcomes for Home Depot. It's just that at, at the end of the day, when you're a big box retailer, trying to get 14 times EBITDAs is you know that's healthy. Um, you know historically, you know Walmart somewhere eight eight to ten. You know that's kind of the the rule of thumb for that category of business. Um, so at 14, you need you need you know acknowledging the low interest rate environment we're in, you need outsized growth with expanding profit margins, which is like a really positive story to tell. So at the end of the day, I think you know the business continues to perform admirably. The stock will do what it will. The valuation is probably a little pricey, but you know neither not not exorbitantly so. But it's just a little bit of a temper temper check. There was an analyst note out this morning I wanted to talk about, and it was about YouTube and trying to. Read the tea leaves such that Alphabet gives out uh, regarding YouTube and traffic and various metrics and and trying to assign a valuation if you just broke out YouTube as a separate business. And the valuation really struck me because the, I think it was Bernstein was the was the shop that put it out. and the the valuation that they put on YouTube, Alphabet's a five hundred billion dollars company. And they put the valuation at YouTube on a range of sixty-seven to eighty-six billion dollars, and I don't know. It just it it really. I was surprised that it was that high. You know, you sent me that note, and I'll say I, I was expecting to be a little bit perplexed by the valuation as well. But digging into it a little, it, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem unreasonable. I mean, you know, um, you know, the basic stuff. YouTube is the second most trafficked website in the world. It's number three in the U.S. next to Google and Facebook. I mean, this is a tier one. Um, web property, um, you know, significantly lesser comparables in the space. Like I, in an attempt to make this 
version of Market Foolery slightly better than the one that we didn't tape correctly the first time. <laughs> um, I actually have done some. I've done a re- I've done some research nice. in the intervening period. So there's a uh, there's a broadcast yourself website in China called YY, and and this is a website where people um, sign on and they use a webcam and they they sing karaoke to other people who just happen to sort of watch them sing karaoke. It's really weird, um, but it's worth two point five billion dollars. So so wait a minute. <laughs> it, it, it's 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 not just a a YouTube or Periscope type site. It is specifically ju- it's a niche Periscope site. It's just karaoke. Well, it started out. It, it didn't start out as just that niche, um, but the company rapidly realized that the the karaoke was getting all the traffic. So you know, to their credit, hard pivot all karaoke all the time. Okay, you sign on to yy.com, you are getting amateur karaoke no matter when you log on. And that's appealing to someone. Yeah, and they, you know they or sell lots of someone. They sell virtual gifts. Yeah, they did like nine hundred million in revenue last year. But like I said, worth two point five billion. And at one point earlier in twenty fifteen, was worth over five billion dollars. So, acknowledging that that exists makes stomaching a $65, 70 billion dollar valuation of YouTube a, a little bit more um, credible. You know, as you alluded to, Alphabet doesn't do us any favors in terms of breaking out segment results for YouTube. But we know that the Google core properties are killing it, and YouTube is a part of that. Um, they've certainly scaled out the advertising on that platform over the past year. Um, and prior to that, they have said that the monetization rates are lower on those ads than on some of their other ads. But generally speaking, monetization on the internet has been moving in the right direction. So it's not too far of a leap to say, hey, I, th- I think those monetization rates will get better as time goes on. So you look at that traffic times that revenue opportunity times their already robust profit margins for the blended business, and that valuation doesn't seem like a doesn't seem like a super stretch. I don't know the extent to which. Standalone companies like Netflix or CBS or Activision Blizzard, three companies that are trying to get into everyone's living room and trying to get as much of our attention and time as possible. I don't know the extent to which uh, they focus on something like this, but I think if I worked at one of those companies and I saw this note, it would it would sadden me just a little bit because if YouTube is in fact a standalone company worth seventy-five billion dollars. That is, you know, twice the size of any of those three companies I just mentioned. Yeah, um, you know, and and presumably, <clears throat> they're not at the peak of their powers. They're they're not, they're not making money with YouTube the way that they are in other parts of the Alphabet business. They look at what they're doing with the monetization of YouTube and they go, we can do better than this. Yeah, and they probably can. I mean that's I mean to your point, that's probably the frightening thing for competition in the space. Um, you know, credit to Google, you know, what did they buy this for? One point six billion in two thousand and six. In the fall of two thousand and six, Google Video was an in house property that was getting its butt kicked by a startup company called YouTube, and smartly, someone known at, then as YouTube, was it? No. no. <laughs> like, what? And smartly, someone at Google said, "You know what? We're just going to go give them a bag of money, and we're going to buy YouTube." Yeah, this is an example of one of those big acquisitions that actually worked. Um, you know, the, the academic data suggests that seventy to ninety percent of big acquisitions, depending on how you measure success, um, don't aren't successful. Um, Google certainly had its share of unsuccessful acquisitions. You know, don't forget Motorola, for example. But you know, this is one that seems to have unequivocally paid off already, and they're still optimizing it from here. Um, you know, fodder for all the deal makers who will try to continue to foist big acquisitions on on companies, which 
for the most part, and particularly if you're Hewlett Packard, you should just <laughs> just walk away from. Speaking of Hewlett Packard, <laughs> we've got Fool Fest, which is our annual two-day investing event, coming up later this week. It's Thursday and Friday. We've got about 700, I think, just north of 700 members of Motley Fool One, Supernova, Million Dollar Portfolio, Pro, and Options coming in uh, for our annual two-day event. Uh, we've got two full days of, of main stage presentations, breakout sessions, a ton of content. Uh, I'm always excited whenever we have Fool Fest, and uh, it's a good time. It's a good time, and it's great to see uh, members who we've we've met and and have come before, and it's always great to meet new ones. And you mentioned Hewlett Packard. You're doing a presentation. Uh, yes, and Hewlett Packard is part of your presentation. I I try not to ever miss an opportunity to take gratuitous pot shots at Hewlett Packard's acquisition track record. Yeah, which is not great. No, no. I mean, anytime you can write off sixteen billion dollars in a single year, you're doing something. But yeah, uh, do you think do you think anyone at Hewlett Packard <laughs> just just points a finger at Bank of America and said, "Well, at least it's not countrywide"? <laughs> probably, probably. You know, at least it's not AOL Time Warner or. Or countrywide, what have you? Yeah, yeah. Um, what What's your presentation? Uh, my My presentation is called "Redefining Success" or "How to More Consistently Make Reasonably Better Investing Decisions." Setting expectations accordingly. Well, you know that's the key to redefining success is nice. to uh, set expectations low. But yeah, my my deck um, my my deck will include pictures of my U five Tiny Dragon soccer team, who have done a great job of redefining success this year. Um, you know, no crying, didn't score on ourselves, that sort of thing. That is, you know what? If you're talking about five year olds playing, playing soccer, tiny dragons, both those things yep. are are came back next week to play metrics <laughs> metrics <laughs> of success. Uh, like the the pot shots at Hewlett Packard who have redefined success in the world of um, acquisitions. Uh, a few investing tips in there for the people who are coming to Fool Fest for that sort of thing. But <laughs> come on now. And then, um, well, and, and then the, the, the kicker is a, a pretty lengthy um, look into how professional level soccer goalkeepers um, could, could triple um, their save rates on penalty kicks and how, you know, what, what, what applications you can learn from that. So, um, nice. what is that? That's 10, 10.45 on Thursday for anybody who's going to be in town. A- any listeners who are coming. And there are no competing presentations at that time. So, you have to attend. You have. You have no choice. <laughs> yeah, it's not like a breakout session where you choose your own adventure. Um, no, I think it'll be great. We've and hopefully got... the mics will be turned on because Dan's in charge of that too, right? Dan? Dan's, Dan's in charge of that. <laughs> so hopefully, wow! Just when you thought the shots at Dan Boyd were over, the the late shot coming in. Um, young up and coming investor David Gardner will be speaking. I heard of him. Our friend Morgan Housel is speaking. Uh, but we've also got some external folks coming in. Uh, Dan Pink. Uh-huh. Um, Nell Minow, long-time listener. Willie Walker, Walker and Dumlop, yep. uh, Bob Willett from Cognex. From Cognex. These are some interesting recommendations that yep. the Fool has made. I'm looking forward to all those. Should be yeah. um, a couple of interesting panels on, on investor top ideas. Um, a new thing I'm calling top opportunities. Nice. Which is um, you'll have to come to show up, to find out. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> I'm in. I'm the MC for both days, so I have no choice. I have to show up. But but thanks. You paid them. But thank, but thanks for the. Uh, Thanks for the uh, the insight into what you're saying because that'll help me when I'm introducing you. Yeah, well, you're just gonna ad lib it anyway, right? At the pretty much. Hey, this is Tim. Tim's gonna talk about some stuff. 
Come on up, Tim. Tim Hanson, I just did everybody. your intro. There it is. Did, you, did we record that, Dad? You know what? For anyone <laughs> who's listening now and is actually coming to Fool Fest, don't think for one second that my introduction of Tim Hansen on Thursday morning is going to be any more involved than that. Because <laughs> it won't be. Thanks for being here, man. Thank you, sir. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. We hope. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. (laughs) We'll see you tomorrow.